What a blessing it is to have God's Word. What a blessing it is to be able to bring our needs and petitions to the Lord in prayer. Um, as Kurt prayed and as was mentioned this morning, we certainly do covet your prayers this week for the General Assembly, our annual meeting of our denomination, Presbyterian Church in America uh, in St. Louis. Pastor Greco is will soon be on his way there. Pray for his safe arrival. He has many responsibilities, as, as most of you know, uh, many responsibilities this week, and uh, trust the Lord will use him uh, mightily in the things that, that um, we hope to happen, and um, trust that the Lord will, will be with his people. This evening, um, we are back in the Gospel of Mark. We are all the way to chapter 15. After many weeks, um, actually stretched into many months, as um, it, it uh, happened to be in chapter 14, we are now in chapter 15, and we'll uh, begin uh, reading with the first verse here in a moment. Jesus here is in his final day, uh, the day of his crucifixion. In the dark hours of the previous evening and the early morning, Jesus has been betrayed. He has been arrested. He has been brought to trial by the Sanhedrin, if you can call that a trial, what happened there in the dark of night. We've seen Peter last time. We saw Peter deny his Lord three times, with the third time being with an oath where he, where he called curses upon himself if he did indeed know the Lord, which of course he did. What a, what a dreadful thing that was. But Peter, of course, quickly repented when he heard the rooster crow. And now the morning dawns, and the chief priests and scribes are still working out their evil plan. And they deliver Jesus over to Pilate. This uh, sermon is rather uh, boringly titled, Christ Before Pilate. I trust that the sermon will be of greater interest than, than simply the title. But here Jesus is before Pilate. And I want to look at this text under three headings. Three characteristics of our Lord Jesus, which he displayed in this text. That is silence, substitution, and suffering. Silence, substitution, and suffering. So let us pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon the reading of his word, and then we'll read our text together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that in it, O oh God, that you speak to us. Give us a sense of, of the gravity of this hour, Lord, as we reflect upon your final hours upon this earth prior to your crucifixion. And Lord, may we accurately understand what you did and what you are doing here in this text. Lord, speak to us, and Lord, speak through your word, we ask. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, Lord, be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hear now the word of God from Mark 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. 
died the feast he used to rele- he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to him, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him with a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word. Pilate, Pontius Pilate, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. I hope you recognize that little short phrase from the Apostles' Creed. It's interesting to note that there are only two people that are recognized by name, that are mentioned by name in the Apostles' Creed outside the persons of the Trinity. Mary, the mother of Christ, and this third-rate Roman politician that we have in our text. It makes good sense that that Mary would be mentioned, the mother of Christ, the, the virgin mother of Christ. Christ's miraculous birth points, of course, to his incarnation and his humanity. But Pilate, this brutal governor, of Judea, I think the reason that he's mentioned is, is first that it points to the factual events of what we have read, and as several commentators note, that Pilate was functioning as a person, as a public person that brought the sentence upon our Lord Jesus Christ, which sent him to the cross. We look at this text and we consider first Christ's silence. In his customary style, Mark begins the events of the day very rapidly. He tells us that as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the rest of the council. Now, we, we know that there was a meeting. Mark doesn't really tell us the, the contents or the subject matter or the agenda of this meeting. But remember the Sanhedrin had already found Jesus guilty, at least in their own minds. They had found him guilty of blasphemy. Jesus had openly declared who he was, that he was and is the Christ, and that he would soon be revealed in his glory. And we talked a couple weeks ago, or a couple sermons ago, about how Christ said that he would be the one that would judge those that were sitting in judgment of him. And of course, that raised the ire of the Sanhedrin to such a degree, they were ready to kill him on the spot. But 
Here he, had, he was charged with blasphemy. But what did Pilate care about that? While Jesus' claim was enough to drive the Sanhedrin mad over what had happened, and a charge of blasphemy was enough to bring the death penalty under the Old Testament law, that was not a sufficient charge in the court of the Romans. Now, Jesus, the Jews could have possibly carried out the judgment against Jesus themselves. We, we see them doing that against Stephen in Acts chapter 7. But these Jewish leaders didn't seem content to stone Jesus themselves. They wanted him to die the cruel death that the Romans could bring upon him. The Romans were experts in making their prisoners suffer and suffer publicly. And what better way for these jealous, unbelieving Jews, these leaders of the Jews, to make Christ, their enemy, suffer? But in the Roman courts, and with a Roman crucifixion. But to make that happen, there had to be sufficient charges brought against Jesus that would, that would get the attention of Pilate and those in charge. Luke helps us and fills in a few more details of the charges that were brought. Luke 23 tells us that the Jewish leaders said this to Pilate. They said, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Of course, that was a mixture of truth and falsehood there because Jesus did not forbid tribute to Caesar but he did claim to be Christ, the king. Now, for a Jew to claim to be a king in the Roman province of Judea, that was a big deal. That was a threat to the Romans. That got Pilate's attention. Treason and insurrections must be addressed, and Pilate loved to address them. He was brutal and cruel. He was even known for stirring up insurrections so he could just put them down with violence. He once stirred up the Jews by bringing Roman soldiers into, into Jerusalem and into the very precincts of the temple. He was not a particularly popular governor. Um, historians tell us that Judea was not a coveted place to rule, and he was there for 11 years. He was not really an up-and-comer. He was not really upwardly mobile within Roman government. And he was fired in A.D. 37 by the Emperor Caligula. But Pilate knew that any claim to being king could not go unaddressed. So we see him there in verse 2 directly asking Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, You have said so. Or it could be translated, You say so. Jesus was not veiling the truth necessarily. He, he was saying that he is the true king. Um, this account is recorded throughout all of the Gospels, and if we look to the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus is confirming his kingship as the king but he's saying it's not a kingdom like Pilate was thinking of. And then following this brief answer to Pilate's very direct question of if he is indeed the king of the Jews, Jesus falls silent. 
Verse 3 tells us that the chief priests accuse him of many things. Uh, Mark doesn't go into details of, of what these accusations are, but there's many things that they bring trying to convince Pilate that he's guilty and deserves to die the death that the Romans would bring upon him. And Pilate is amazed, the scripture tells us. Didn't Jesus want to defend himself? He's, he, 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 he's baffled by Christ's silence. In a sense, he says, do you see these charges? Don't you have anything to say, Jesus? Now, we think about false accusations. We think about ourselves. Think about yourself. I invite you. We can hardly let someone finish a sentence if we think we're being accused falsely. We protest readily and often loudly if we think we need to speak up in our own defense. But Jesus was silent. Why did Jesus respond with only silence? Well, I think there's several reasons we could, we could look at. First of all, it was, it was pointless, really, because he knew that, that the, the Sanhedrin had brought these charges of blasphemy against him. He had been delivered up, it says in the language of Scripture. He had been delivered up to Pilate, and Pilate was there. And Jesus knew that the charges against him were, were false, were trumped up, and he recognized that, that they had already made up their mind. It was pointless. They had a sentence of death against Jesus even before they called their first witness. Secondly, he knew that it was his time. On many occasions, Jesus had told the disciples not to speak openly about who he was and, and what he was doing upon the earth. But Jesus knew it was time. Remember, as we looked at Christ in the garden, that he wrestled within his own spirit about what he was approaching and what was before him. And then it seems that he rose with purpose and focus to do what he had come to do. He knew it was his time. We know, of course, that Christ here was fulfilling prophecy. In speaking about the servant, Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that it, before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. But the reason that the prophecy was written was because of what Jesus was doing in his silence. What was Christ doing there? What he was doing was he was taking on our sin. He did not speak on his own behalf because he was bearing the sins of another. Our guilty record was being given to him. He was not representing himself in his innocence. He was representing you and me in our guilt and our sin. We who have no defense of our own before the bar of God. Our record and our sins were being laid upon him. So Jesus remained silent. Knowing that he would pay the penalty for those sins. Jesus was silent. And that brings us to our second point. Substitution. Look with me at verses 6 through 15. Now at the feast, he, meaning Pilate, used to release to them for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. 
And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, What shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted out all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released from them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. It seems that it was a tradition for the Romans at that time, at the time of the Passover, to release one prisoner for them. It was as though it was Rome's way of throwing a bone to these people that they had subjugated. Perhaps Pilate wanted to make himself look good in the eyes of the Jews, so he had this tradition to grant amnesty to a prisoner. Now we see Barabbas was a murderer. Barabbas was in prison. He was likely facing the death penalty. And when the crowd asked Pilate if he was going to keep this tradition of releasing one prisoner here at this time of the feast, Pilate seemed to think it was a good opportunity to let Jesus go free. Pilate knew there was something different about this man, Jesus. Pilate saw it. His wife saw it. His wife told him, I've suffered many things in a dream because of this man. And she was urging him to to set him free. They knew there was something different about Jesus. Pilate seemed to sense Christ's innocence. And he could see through the envy of the high priest, the chief priest, and and their hatred and their vitriol against Christ was very evident to him. But Pilate underestimated the crowds. They, following the coaching of the chief priest, they demanded Barabbas to be released. They said, give us Barabbas, give us the murderer. According to early commentators, Barabbas' first name was Jesus, which is very interesting, but but understandable that that was a name that was not uncommon at the time. Jesus Barabbas or Jesus of Nazareth, that was the choice. Also, the name Barabbas, Bar is a a prefix meaning the son of, Abba meaning father, Barabbas, son of a father. So here you have, interestingly, Barabbas, Jesus, son of a father. Barabbas, or Jesus Christ, son of the Father. Barabbas is guilty. He's guilty of murder and treason. Christ was accused of treason as well, but Barabbas is guilty. It's been suggested and and not entirely inconceivable that that cross upon which Jesus eventually dies was for Barabbas. Because Barabbas was in prison, remember. He was being held for murder. He was facing his penalty. And Christ had only been arrested the night before and had only been brought to Pilate in the early morning hours. Barabbas was waiting for his sentence. But that day, Barabbas didn't go to the cross. The guilty one was set free and the innocent one was to die Jesus did not die for Barabbas in a salvific sense. We have no record of Barabbas coming to faith and trusting in Christ for salvation. But Jesus died in Barabbas' place. 
And this account, as we mentioned, is throughout all four of the Gospels. And I think in some sense, the Gospel writers wanted us to see this idea of substitution here in the story of Barabbas. For it was for our sins that Jesus died. We are the guilty ones. It was our place that he took upon that cross. We are guilty and condemned to die, not just a physical death on a Roman cross, as bad as that is, but we are sentenced to die a spiritual and an eternal death before God. We stand before God condemned because of our sin. Too often we think of sin lightly. We think of, of our sin in terms of what we consider small sins. If, if we were to go out on the streets, if we were to go over to Katie Mills Mall and, and just ask random strangers if they were sinners, what do you think they would say? Many of them would say no. And often, if you, if you do that sort of thing, you find out that people always compare them to, themselves to someone else. And they say, well, at least I'm not as bad as... X, whatever that may be. At least I'm only a small sinner. Yet James tells us that if, if we are guilty of, of breaking one sin, we've broken the whole law. I heard one preacher say it. It's like, a, it's like an expensive vase. And if that vase is, is dropped, whether it's cracked or shattered in a thousand pieces, it's still compromised. It's still broken. We have broken God's law and we're guilty of all of it. You who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose its evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt you can estimate. Only one man has ever perfectly kept God's law. And on this day we, we read in our text, he stood silent before his accusers so that he might be your and my substitute. Christ is our only hope, and he alone has lived a sinless life. He is the only one that can pay the penalty for our sins. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, Peter tells us, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Christ is our substitute. Christ was silent. Jesus, Christ is our substitute. He bore the sins of all his people upon the cross. And finally, suffering. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Scripture tells us, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, and, and once again, we, we can read the other gospel accounts to see more of the details of how he, he John gives us a, a more full picture of the interactions between our Lord Jesus and, and Pilate, and, and they have this conversation about truth, but eventually you see Pilate, he capitulates to the crowd, and Mark fifteen fifteen tells us, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him with a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. 
It says that Pilate delivered him to be crucified. We see that term delivered up three times in our text. It, it means to, to give over to another's custody, to be judged, to be condemned, to be punished, tormented, or put to death. It also is translated in various places as betrayed based upon the usage of it. So three times in our text, we see that Jesus was given up. We see it in um, that he was delivered over to Pilate by the chief priest. We see it in, in verse 10, where um, the priest, out of envy, had delivered him up. And then we see it where Pilate delivers him up and gives him up to the wishes of the people to be crucified. This was the same word, as we mentioned, as, that is translated often as betrayed. Judas delivered Christ up. He betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Mark 14 reminds us, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. We see our Lord Jesus being delivered up, being betrayed, being given over to those who would work their way upon him. Interestingly, it's the same word in the Greek that is used in Romans 8.32, speaking of the Father. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The chief priest gave him up to Pilate in hopes that he would bring a sentence upon them. Pilate delivered him up and gave, him, gave in to the people who were calling out for his crucifixion. Judas gave Jesus up. He betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And the Father gave him up for our redemption. We see in verse 15 this short phrase that is so packed. And perhaps you've heard sermons about Christ scourging, but Mark only simply says, having scourged Jesus, he gave him up to be crucified. Mark spares us much of the embarrassment and agony of what scourging actually was. A Bible dictionary I, I look to, to to give me some of these details. Of course, uh, perhaps you are aware of, of what scourging actually entailed. The, the prisoner was, was stretched out, his arms were stretched above him, and a, and a whip was brought out that was, that was uh, many, many strands of straps of leather to, fastened to a handle. There were barbs, there were pieces of bone or metal within that, and the Romans were particularly good at using it. And we're told that it was comparable in its effects with the Russian knout, which um, was a similar instrument of cruelty. And the blows were applied to the back and sometimes even in the wanton cruelty of the executioner to the face and the bowels. And, and as you can imagine, a body that is stretched out like that and just pieces of flesh being torn from our Lord Jesus. It says, so hideous was the punishment that the victim usually fainted and not rarely died under it. So here's Jesus. He's scourged and then he's delivered to be crucified. 
And then we read in the verses that, we, that we've read now twice that these soldiers called their friends to mock the Lord Jesus. They called together the whole battalion and they called them out so that they could mock him. They put upon him a purple robe. Of course, this idea of him being king was very much front and center in the accusations. And so purple being the color of royalty, they put upon him a purple robe. And they put upon him a crown of thorns. A symbol of the curse. God said to Adam, the ground will be cursed because of your sin and thorns and thistles will it bring forth. And then they made a crown out of those thorns and Christ bore the curse of sin for us. They mocked him. They struck him with a reed on the head. They spit upon him. And then they stripped him of the robe, leaving him naked and bleeding. And they put his own bloody clothes back on him and they led him away to be crucified. So here is Jesus, the spotless, sinless son of God, suffering as no man before or since has ever suffered. Now, of course, the Romans killed many prisoners. They, they scourged many prisoners. Yet Christ suffered in a way that no man ever will or could have suffered. Because in his suffering, he was suffering for sin. He was suffering for the sin of all of his people. He bore the full penalty of the wrath of God against sin for all of his elect. And by the work of the Holy Spirit, uniting us to Christ in his death and resurrection, that work of Christ that he did is applied to us, saints of God. What a blessing that is. Too often, I think, we, we think of our own salvation. And, and it's so easy to take it for granted. It's so easy to, to, to think lightly of what Jesus has done for us. He did it out of love for us. He did it out of love for his people. Oh, what love he showed to us. And if you are here this evening and you are outside of Christ, come to this Savior. Come to this one who died. Come to this one who provided a way of salvation so that you could be made right with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Come to Christ today. Trust in him fully for salvation. If you are a child of God, rejoice in the glorious work that Christ has fully accomplished for you. Let us pray.